for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Adun will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, Elohim will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7-12 through 12. People living in a strong delusion, believing lies because they did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Hmm. That's deep. It will be hard for people to try to deny that today we are living in that strong delusion. How could you argue against that? To actually think that the impact of the strong delusion could get stronger is a very scary thought to consider. People are walking around caught up in the matrix, living in deception, cheering for unrighteousness, voting for it, protesting for it, but in the same breath, stand up in church and praise God and say he's going to bless their lives. That's delusion. When I think of the strong delusion, I think about the matrix system. How the world lives attached to a fake world system that everyone is attached to and trying to thrive in, while those that actually run the system are in the background destroying it in order to rebuild it into a new form of digital slavery. But people are so attached to it in their minds that they can't break free from it. That's a strong delusion I think about. Or I also think about the COVID situation, where for a year or two, the whole world was run by fear, scared to come outside scared to go visit their families or to go to work, just living in fear until they were able to take an unknown solution that took away their fear. But at the same time, these people thought that they were operating in faith. Strong delusion. There are so many instances you can see of people walking in a mindset of confusion and delusion. When really thinking about it, it's really not hard to pinpoint what this prophecy of a coming strong delusion is referring to, or is there even more to come? Again, that is scary. But in the comment section of these videos a few weeks ago, someone made a comment about what the strong delusion is to them. And while my mind was thinking that for a period of time before I even read it, I could not say that with assurance because the implications were a little too great for me to declare. The thought was that one of the biggest religions in this world is the actual strong delusion. And that is because while people believe in a savior, they live in rebellion and unrighteousness based by the doctrines of that religion. They are lawless and fight anyone or anything who even mentions being obedient to the commands of the Most High. They attach themselves to traditions and ideals that have nothing to do with the word, but the traditions that they do and accept come from man and they feel justified by them. Yes, there is absolutely a religious strong delusion that has happened. And I believe it all goes back to Yahusha's parable slash prophecy about the wheat and the tares. Now, I recently made a video about this about a month or so back. So if you have not watched that video, please make sure that you do. But this prophecy about the wheat and the tares is an exact reason why there is a strong delusion within the faith. It's because while Yahusha was planting his good seed, Satan was planting in his weeds. 
and they grew at the same time, looking indistinguishable until the fruit was produced. And now there are weeds planted in that have tried to masquerade as true faith and Messiah, but they're really just weeds. A big reason this was able to happen is because of this subject that we're about to discuss. In part one last week, I discussed what a pagan was during the ancient days when the Bible was written. It was very easy to discern back then what a pagan was because following Yah was unambiguous and because he only spoke to Israel, it made it easier to discern with the rest of the world. But now that we are in the time of the Gentiles and salvation has been granted to the Gentiles to now be grafted into Israel through their faith and obedience to Messiah, when Satan planted his tares, his weeds, there was now a mixing that has become harder to discern through. People may understand what a pagan was in the ancient world, but it's more difficult to understand what that means in this modern world because the religions of the world don't promote their beliefs by claiming paganism. I mean, most of Satan's doctrines don't even have a defined title. But paganism still exists, and not only by the ones who know they are pagans, but also through the tares that Satan planted. So now that what a pagan is has been defined to you from the beginning during the ancient biblical days, it is time to tie it all in to what pagans have to do with our modern culture because unfortunately there are too many people that say this is not pagan and that is not pagan all because they don't understand this subject so we're going to put it all out there in the end people can believe what they want to believe and stand in front of Yah with confidence of their beliefs but they will not be able to claim that they were never told or given the opportunity to understand so we are going to discuss how pagans infiltrated the faith of Messiah. Let's begin. Okay, so let's be clear. We all know what a pagan is. We will bring over the definition of what a pagan is that we discussed in that last video. In the ancient days, a pagan was an individual born outside the nation of Israel that was lawless, according to Yahuwah, his standards and his ways, his Torah. They worship many gods, the main gods and a trinity of father god, mother goddess, and son of god, and then a lot of smaller gods. They were able to worship these gods as they saw fit, and as time progressed, their customs and traditions would change. They were believers in many gods, and they had no laws or rules to worship them, just the customs and traditions they were told of by their priest. Pretty much everything that men thought they could do to honor their gods, they were able to do. They were lawless, without law. And to make a clear distinction between them and Israel, you can understand it by that one word, lawless. Because the difference with Israel is that they were not. They were given a Torah that told them how Yah desired to be loved and honored and followed by them. And they were told not to add or subtract from it. And like I just explained, that distinction was much easier to see before salvation was granted to the Gentiles. But once the Gentiles were made able to be grafted into Israel, as belief in Yahusha began to spread, the hijacking from pagan Rome took hold without what was happening being really spoken of. So it is important to understand pagan Rome during the time after Yahusha ascended. So let's look at the history. Rome, as we already know during that time, was already pagan. This was their foundation. But paganism is usually a tolerant religion. These people believed in the existence of more than one God. So they wouldn't knock you for worshiping another god. To them, God had many different names. The pagans very easily granted others the right to worship a god or gods other than their own. 
Now the Jews were already known in Rome. I explained this in Understanding Israel Part 6. They were already Jews scattered in the Roman Empire. Rome gave privileges for the Jews in Rome. They excused the Jews from the worship of the goddess Roma and were excused from the worship of Caesar and Augustus who were considered gods by the people. In contrast, the conquered Egyptians were required to do this, but the Jews were not. They were only expected to pray for the emperors. In the city of Rome itself, there was also several districts inhabited largely by Jews. Each of these neighborhoods had its own synagogue. They were able to practice their law and their way of life set by Yah in Rome. Now, it is important to note that they were not led by his power any longer, but they were a people with their own way and their own customs. They were a set apart people that had their own separate ways of life. Then the spread of the way started being pushed in the Roman territories. Rome labeled it as Christianity. The first followers of the way were Jews and those who sympathized with the Jews. But the Jews who did not attach to the message of Messiah, they looked at this new faith being spread as a competitor of their influence. And then the rest is history. We know belief in Messiah started to spread amongst Rome, first to the Jews and then the Gentiles. In history, this movement of belief in Messiah is labeled as the Christian movement. The Christians were their own community and they refused to worship the gods of their neighbors, regarding them as demonical forces. They avoided the spectacles in the theaters and the athletic contests held in honor of the gods. They were wary of even dining out in an age when most meat for sale had come from the temple sacrifices. They avoided military and civil service because those roles involved oaths and duties that conflicted with their faith. As they avoided all these customs that were regarded by their pagan neighbors as normal, they soon earned a reputation as being enemies of the human race. Pretty soon we will see history repeat itself. Anyways, the refusal of the Christians to swear allegiance to the gods of the state and to a divine emperor raised suspicion from the Roman government about the political loyalty of the church. In the eyes of the pagan masses, they believed the Christians were atheists who did not worship the traditional gods. In the year 303, Diocletian and a Caesar of the East, Galerius, ordered Christians to surrender their sacred books and their churches were to be destroyed, and they severely persecuted the Christians. And from this point, the Roman Empire was being divided, split into two. It seemed the more that the Christians were being persecuted while not fighting back, the more they gained influence around Rome. And this influence was splitting Rome into two. Now, it is at this point of history that we see the easily defined beginning of where Satan began to spread his tears. So this point should be marked in all of our understanding. You see, before Yahusha, Satan's pagan religion brought about a religious system that he was the god of. Not by name, but he still was the god of. Once Yahusha defeated him, his influence began to weaken. So he began with the practice he used many times with the Greece. It is a word that should be known, but it is not by many. And because of this, many people do not understand what happened during history with the pagans. The word is syncretism. The Oxford Dictionary says, syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. <laughs> wow, do you see how hard they made that? So what is amalgamation? Amalgamation is the action, process, or result of combining or uniting. So let's just use that. 
Let's make it more simple. Syncretism is the action of combining or uniting different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. And this was something that the pagans did throughout ancient history. Please remember that word, syncretism. Syncretism was common during the Hellenistic period. As they spread their way and culture around the world, the Greek rulers regularly identified the local deities and the various parts of their domains that they conquered, and then they assimilated them with the relevant god or goddess of their Greek pantheon, and they did this as a way of increasing the cohesion and connection of their kingdom. Basically, it was like, oh, you Egyptians? Y'all worship Ra, right? Oh, we call him Zeus. Oh, you're Isis? Oh yeah, we call her Artemis. It's all the same thing, no worry. We all worship the same gods, just by different names. So don't worry too much about those minor differences. These gods know that you're speaking to them regardless of the name that you call them by. But we're Greeks, so this is what we call them. That is pagan thought, and people still use it today with Messiah's name. Basically, people like to say that there are over 7,100 languages in the world, and therefore, there are 7,100 names of the Hebrew Messiah. That is how syncretism works, and it's used to bring unity of all cultures into one faith, and that was the major practice of that time. The Greeks did it during their conquering, and so did the Romans. And to note, they are doing the same thing today as they promote their interfaith, one world religion. And again, to add to that, if some of you think back to some of your comments in my recent videos, you practice it too. But I don't want to get off track. Syncretism? is a key understanding you must place in your knowledge of history if you're going to understand the faith with proper eyes of discernment. You can see how this word got missing out of our daily vocab. Of course Satan didn't want us all understanding that this was ever practiced. Okay, but now that you understand this word and this practice, let's go back to Rome being divided and then go back to Constantine. During the early years of Constantine, Rome was being divided. Now it wasn't just a rift between the pagans and the Christians, but there was also a civil war with the West and the East dividing into two. Constantine was fighting for control of the West against Maxentius. It is said by the so-called Christian father Eusebius, Tear. We need to note this so there's no confusion. Tear. Eusebius tells of a vision seen by Constantine in which the Christian sign appeared in the sky with the legend saying, In hoc signu vene, or in this sign, conquer. So he put a cross on his legion seals. He easily defeated Maxentius, who fled back to Rome. But before reaching the city, Maxentius fell into the river and drowned. His body was discovered the next morning among the corpses of many others. This victory was a turning point in history. There would now be a fusion of church and state. Constantine became the emperor of the West, and Licinius took over the East. It is said that Constantine believed wholeheartedly that he had won the West through the mercy of the Christian God. And from this vision that Constantine had, the world changes. Mark that period. This is the important part to understand because this is where the confusion came from. It started from Constantine's vision. Constantine's vision of the cross was not a vision from Yah. Nowhere has Yah ever said that he wanted the world conquered through the pagan symbol of the cross. The cross, again, is a pagan symbol. The Tau cross is a very, very ancient symbol. When you hear people say the cross is a pagan symbol, this is what they're always referring to. This cross was the sign of three major deities. The Sumerian sun god, Tammuz, the Roman god, Mithras, and the Greek god, Attis. 
This is the same T-shape that's placed on the forehead of Tammuz followers. This is the symbol of the pagan slain and risen god Tammuz. It is the symbol for just another counterfeit Masonic Christ. The Latin cross is the cross that is associated with Christianity and is just another formation of this Tau cross. And this is why we should not use that symbol. But that doesn't matter. Yahuwah did not give Constantine the vision of conquering the world through the cross. I mean, it goes against Yahusha's parable of leavened bread. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, Yahusha says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So understand that parable. Think about a woman baking bread. She needs the dough and then puts it away until later the yeast has raised the dough tremendously. He is saying that this is how the kingdom of heaven is. The leaven or yeast will grow internally through its own power. He did not need Constantine to begin a movement of conquering the world through the cross. But this is what happened nonetheless. The world was conquered in the name of Jesus and these colonizers will conquer and use Christianity to control all the lands that they conquered. Now in understanding that vision, what we see is Constantine receiving a vision from Satan, the God of this world, and Satan showed him that he could use the cross as a symbol to conquer the world through. So instead of fighting against the faith, Constantine did the opposite and hijacked it. Understand this clearly. Constantine was a pagan. He grew up and was educated in the Eastern Empire under Emperor Galerius, who was very much a pagan. He was taught and brought up as a pagan. His father worshipped the pagan deities, and so did he. He did not truly convert to the faith and want to bring the world under Yah's dominion. He did not worship the God of Israel. He wanted to be able to control Rome. He was used as a tool by Satan to plant the weeds in the faith. And so now after this hijacking, each and every one of us now needs to examine, do we follow the faith that came from Israel through the disciples, or did we become introduced in the faith by the tares who came in through Constantine? Let's dig into some more history as we go, and I'm sure the history will clarify things for us. Constantine became the emperor of the West in the year 312. In the year 313, he and co-emperor of the East, Licinius, proclaimed religious toleration throughout the empire through the Edict of Milan. This edict legalized Christianity and allowed for freedom of worship of whatever god you chose throughout the empire. Constantine was not baptized until on his deathbed, and he retained until his death the pagan title Pontifex Maximus, and he also allowed the pagan symbolism of Sol Invictus and Mars on his coinage up until the year 320. So like I said earlier, this obviously was not a pure conversion of faith. In his movement, he started making large contributions that had begun a series of building great churches in Rome. He donated to the Bishop of Rome, a role that later would be called the Pope. And it was in these early years of his reign that Constantine began issuing laws conveying upon the church and its clergy fiscal and legal privileges and immunities from civic burdens. He was building a church. At Rome, the Church of St. Peter was begun in the later 320s and was lavishly endowed by Constantine. He declared that the first day of the week is the Sabbath, he declared that day as the day of rest, since he deemed it as both the day of the Messiah's resurrection and more importantly, the day sacred to the sun, which is why it is called Sunday. 
and it is the reason why churches to this day gather and worship on Sunday. Tears. If you go to church on Sunday, this is a tradition given to you by tares. I won't dwell on this right now. We'll just put it on the list of practices we get from tares. Now, Constantine did tolerate certain pagan religious practices, but pagan sacrifices were forbidden. Temple treasures seized. Gladiatorial contests ended. Crucifixions were abolished. And laws were enacted against sexual immorality and ritual prostitution. He was cleaning up house and transforming the faith of Rome into what we see today. If the pagan practices like their orgies and pagan sacrifices, their ritual prostitution, if all those practices were continued by the masses, the distinction between the wheat and the tares would be very easy to discern. So while Constantine was making all of those changes, Licinius, who was the emperor of the Eastern Empire, his attitude towards the Christians, it changed. And he started up again executions of Christians and destroyed several Christian churches. This was enough to prompt Constantine to gather an army and defeat Licinius in the second battle at Hadrianopolis. In the year 324, Licinius was defeated and surrendered. Licinius hoped to return to life as a private citizen, which Constantine initially granted. But yeah, he went back on his word and Licinius was hanged in the year 325. Even his nine-year-old son was killed. This victory of Constantine reunited the empire. He now had control of both the East and West empires of Rome. In the same year, he officially declared himself a Christian and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And from here, we have the true beginning of the power of the Roman Catholic Church. Tears. Now to add to this understanding, please know that it was not only pagans in Rome. The Jews were also in Rome, as I explained earlier. There were Jews that accepted the Messiah, and there were also Jews that did not accept him. They did not allow the ways of the pagans or the Christians to mix with them. They made the decision to reject Yahusha, and they were already grown up under the rejection of the ways of the pagans. But there were still the Jews who accepted Yahusha and were living in Rome. Their influence was severely suppressed and done away with by Rome. It's not like Rome said, we're going to be Christians. Let us come under the God of the Hebrews. We're going to let the Hebrews lead this faith so we can all follow their God better. Nah, that's not what happened. When Constantine made Christianity the favorite religion of Rome, it was now paganism that was no longer tolerated. The attitude towards the Jews changed shortly thereafter as well. And this was the part of the hijacking that was done with the faith. There was a complete hijacking of leadership of the faith, and pagans started mingling their belief and with the truth of Yah. And in order to do this, they wanted to remove the influence of the Jews. Much of the leadership of the early church fathers that we all like to declare, they were very threatened because of the influence of the Jews. So they had their influence suppressed. The Council of the Churchmen, which met at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325, met to discuss the faith and among other agendas, they sought to separate the Jews from the Christians. They forbade Christians to eat unleavened bread on Passover, or even to celebrate this holiday at the same time as the Jews. Tares. If you don't celebrate Passover, one of the most important times in the Bible, you have been influenced by tares. Let's add it to the list. Now, you may want to quickly defend yourself, but we're not at that point yet. Just relax. Right now, I'm just listing ways and doctrines that we do today that were not influenced by Yah, but by tares planted by Satan. So in that council, 
they prohibited Christians from visiting synagogues and listening to any Jews preaching or teaching. They urged them not to observe the day of rest on the day the Jews observed and instituted Sunday as the only Christian Sabbath. The bishops grew in influence and began to take away from the Jews some of the political privileges they once long enjoyed. Many of the Christian leadership of Rome urged the emperor to deal harshly with the Jews. They desired that the influence of the Jews disappeared. This is what many of these church fathers that many people idolize today, they place as idols. This is what they did. They made the claim that the Jews had always misunderstood the scriptures. They pointed to the loss of the nation of Israel as a sign that Yah had rejected them and abandoned the Jews, and that they were now the holders of the covenant. Tares. If you believe the church replaced Israel, this is a doctrine from Tares. Add it to the list. The Roman church hijacked the faith and removed the influence the Jews ever had to it. And so now, in order to understand Yahuwah, they basically have said that you never needed to follow the faith from the ways of Israel because they always had it wrong and their covenant with Yah they couldn't keep. All you needed to do was follow their church. The people felt that you only needed to understand the God of Israel through the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And that is a doctrine from the tares and it brings in a strong delusion. That's why they want to consider themselves as the original church because they removed any influence the Jews ever had over it. And instead of being genuine and assimilating and letting the faith be led by those who actually understood Yah, they tailored the faith to how they saw God and how they desired to mingle in their other gods with Yah. But I'm not ready to expound on that yet. Let's just discuss the intermingling. Christianity was made the new religion of the Roman Empire, an empire that was built on paganism. Before this new religion was declared, they were worshiping multiple gods but now they were required to worship the God of the Christians. Well, only in title though, not in truth and spirit as our father seeks. This Roman empire was the first Christian nation of the world. Please ask yourself, and this is important, do you really think that the foundation of this first Christian nation was built on solid ground? Emperor Constantine had hoped Christianity would be the united force of his empire. So his hopes were to have a unified doctrine in which to place the faith of Rome under. The Council of Nicaea was the unified doctrine within all the bishops of the faith. Constantine wanted uniformity. He didn't really care about what the truth was, just as long as all the leaders of the faith agreed upon them. So at the Council of Nicaea, this is where syncretism came in. There's that word. The first thing that was done in order to blend Rome's pagan religion with Christianity was to ensure the pagans that this was not some new belief that they never heard of. So what did they do? They tied the pagans already held pagan beliefs into the belief of Christianity, which assisted with the pagans accepting the faith. I mean, can you imagine it being any other way? All of a sudden Rome says Christianity is now the new religion of Rome, but these people never heard of the Christian God and don't know anything about it. No, they merged the faith. This is a practice they've always done. Syncretism, I told you, remember that word. This was no longer a faith of the Hebrews, a biblical faith. The Torah of the Hebrews was no longer even considered. It was all about belief in Isis. And if you believed in him, you would go to heaven. They had a father God, but they didn't call him Zeus any longer, but they called him God the Father. But at the time of the forced conversions, I'm sure Zeus was being referred to. It's not like they tore down his statues and everything else associated with them. You don't just change people's belief all of a sudden. 
they did not make a whole empire of people turn to immediate repentance. That's not what happened. I mean, they still have statues of Zeus to this day. The mother goddess that the pagans knew as Diana or Artemis was now known as the Virgin Maria. You know how they say Ave Maria or Hail Mary? And now the son of God, who was known to the pagans as Apollo, was now known to them as Aesus. And Rome formulated unified beliefs in regards to the faith. Some biblical, but many traditions of men. I mean, if you really understand Roman Catholic doctrine, their doctrine says their tradition is just as important as what the Bible says. Now, before I continue, I must stress and emphasize, you must understand that the beliefs that came through the Roman Catholic Church was not about the preparing of Yahuwah's kingdom. It was a political movement that used the guise of religion to bring its subjects into conformity and compliance. Over time, their rules-based doctrine brought order to the empire. And even as what we know as the early Roman Empire, when that fell, the doctrines of Christianity from the universal church, which is what Catholic means, universal, those doctrines from Christianity have kept the dominance of Rome in our lives for over two millennia, whether we like to see that influence or not. Tears. But right now, understanding it from the ground floor is going to bring you more clarity. The religion of Rome was bringing two religions together for unity. This was never about bringing people into Yah's true kingdom, but preparing another kingdom for men governed and ruled by men. Satan was moving from the polytheistic doctrine into a monotheistic one, and so he hijacked and assimilated the faith, leading the world to worship him. Understand, his whole goal is always to be like the Most High. So of course he's going to move from being a polytheistic God to a monotheistic. He just hijacked the faith just as Messiah prophesied that he would. The doctrines of the pagans were intermingled with Roman Christianity. And over time, as generations died and new ones grew, their customs and their ways and their practices became universally understood. And the power of Rome went now from the emperors to the Pope. The point that needs to be understood is that when Rome created the religion of Christianity, it was not done by the power of Yahuwah. And I have to emphasize that. This was a political move that merged the beliefs of the pagans and the new belief of the Christians. And so as we gain more understanding of the doctrines of the Catholic Church, it makes it easier to discern how Satan has mixed his tares in the same field Yahusha planted his good seed. It's very easy to see the pagan worship when you look at things with discernment and not just by first glance, what's on the surface. There are doctrines that are held within the religion of Christianity, but never told or explained by those in power or control. But these doctrines, the information is not secret or hidden. Catholic doctrine stands upon four pillars, church tradition, church hierarchy, veneration, worship of images, and salvation by works. Catholics hold tradition to be equal with scripture, but actually their tradition often overrides scripture. They revere pictures, crosses, rosaries, and other aids to worship. Acts, religious activities, more commonly known as works, are held by Catholics to gain merit, which earns them salvation through the church. You can understand this pagan connection through the understanding of how Catholics deal with their mother goddess, the Virgin Mary. You see, most Catholics deny this point because it was not taught to them and they don't think for themselves. But when you understand what pagans believed in the ancient days, 
and then listen to what the Roman Catholics say now, it's not hard to discern the connection. We don't have to do that hard of a search either because the official position the Roman Catholic Church takes on any particular doctrine is easily found right in their catechisms. A catechism is a summary of the principles of the Christian religion in the form of questions and answers used for the instruction of Christians. This book contains the entire catechism of the Catholic Church, which was updated and first published in Latin in 1992 and published in the English version in 1994. It is the official statement of faith of the Roman Catholic Church. It's the Catholic Church doctrinal statement. In regards to the Virgin Mary, they believe Mary is sinless, a perpetual virgin, the mother of God, the queen of heaven, the co-redeemer with Christ. This is their words. Catechism 491 on page 138 reads, Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace, through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Wow. Did you catch that? It says Mary was redeemed from the moment of her conception. What scripture says that? It says she was preserved immune from all stain of original sin. So along with Yahusha, they believe that Mary was sinless as well? That's ridiculous and far from scriptural. Catechism 966 on page 274 reads, Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things so that she might be more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death. The assumption of the Blessed Virgin is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your dormition, you did not leave the world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceived the living God and by your prayers, will deliver our souls from death. In giving birth, you kept your virginity, the Blessed Virgin. Uh, Mary had more kids after Yahusha. Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 and 56 says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judah? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Mary did not remain a virgin. But there's an even worse part to that catechism. Did you catch it? It said, exalted by the Lord as queen over all things. In some Catholic Bibles, you can find a page dedicated to the queen of heaven. There are many Roman Catholic church that bear the name Mary, queen of heaven, queen of the universe. That's because to Catholics, Mary is the queen of heaven. The title goes back to the pagan mother goddess. You can find this title and role in the Bible as well, but it was always negative. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 18 says, The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods, 
that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says Yahuwah? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? There are more verses like that. I speak about this in multiple videos. This is paganism. The queen of heaven is the whore of Babylon. And the Catholic Church very clearly monitors as such, the queen of heaven. The point that I am making is that this is the basis from where Satan planted his tares in the world. And all the doctrines and separations that have happened from this weed are all tainted in one way or another. When you look at the Protestant church, you might feel better that you've detached from this influence. But what has often failed to be understood is that this universal Catholic church was the foundation of the tares, and it has been intermingled with all the faiths that came after. So much so that people are very confused about their faith and what it is that they actually believe. You have been influenced by tares, and that's why we need to come out of it. So I want to make sure this is boldly stated so there's no confusion. And if this bothers you, I'm sorry, but you need to hear it. The Jesus that many celebrate, that many feel was born on December 25th, that celebrate this Christmas holiday, that allows you to be a sinner as long as you believe in him, the one that is bringing peace and justice to the world, the one who was born from a sinless virgin who remained one, who is now queen of heaven, whose death and resurrection many celebrate every first Sunday after the full moon that occurs on or after the spring equinox. This Jesus is not the same Messiah from Israel that we should follow and believe in. This is a pagan messiah masqueraded in traditions of men surrounded by thousands of year old pagan beliefs that you have been manipulated to believe in as the world grows in its rebellion against the Most High. This Jesus is a tear that has been planted in the same field Yahusha planted good seed. And the more traditions of men that you have applied in your understanding of our messiah, the more ideas of lawlessness that you accept in his name, the more you are actually a tear that has a destiny of fire. Tears. That could be hard to accept, but the history does not lie. You clearly see through the history that Rome adapted the faith of Israel. They removed the influences of Israel and they claimed themselves as the stewards of the kingdom. And much of our ways of worship and the way that we know of Messiah comes through their foundation minus other influences that have grown along the way. Get this clear. You have been given a Bible for a reason. And if you read this Bible without being led by these tares, you do not have to be a tear yourself. This is a real spiritual battle that you are in. And Yahuwah is calling all of us towards him in truth. You cannot let your pride, ego, tradition, fear, complacency, or rebellion keep you from Yahuwah. I needed to make this clear so there was no ambiguity. The Jesus that most people know and worship today is Tammuz, or Horus, or Apollo. It is not Yahusha, the Anointed One. Make that clear. And again, this hard truth is the juncture of confusion within the faith that makes it extremely important for us to read the Bible on our own and not follow their religious Babylonian system. In the last message, you received a breakdown of what pagans were in the ancient world. And you now had a thorough breakdown of how the world moved from being publicly pagan to deceptively monotheistic. They did it just as they did in paganism. The priests at the top of the food chain know what it is that they are doing and who they are serving. They know they serve Lucifer.
But this common understanding is not for the general masses to understand yet until the world is ready to accept him. They have just taken his ways and traditions and have subtly conditioned the world to accept them. The Roman Empire did not get an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were involved in a hijacking and assimilation that masqueraded paganism into monotheism. And the more that people move through ignorance and misunderstanding, the more you will see that people are attaching themselves to doctrines of demons that they are fighting for. So now we have these pagan holidays and we say that we get them because the early church fathers made this date while they were following their solar calendar. And we don't even question it. Matter of fact, most people fight for the traditions and the customs that were never given by Yah, but by those who masquerade as people of the faith. We see clearly why the Apostle Paul warned the Colossians, as you therefore have received Messiah, Yahusha the Adun, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to messiah it's colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8. this guidance in these scriptures is disregarded and people are cheated through philosophy and empty deceit they are cheated by the traditions of men that are according to the basic principles of this world. But they hold them in such high regard because they don't understand what they are supposed to be setting themselves apart from. They are not living their lives according to what Messiah taught them. They are living their lives according to what men have told them to believe Messiah has taught them. And therefore, people are learning a faith of lawlessness that they feel they must uphold to the very end. If you do not know what you're setting yourself apart from, it's all of this. Every piece of doctrine, traditions, thoughts, customs, mindsets that have come from this point in time that Satan planted his tares in the field, Messiah planted his good seed. All of this is what you're setting yourself apart from. If you can look at history with more information from the right vantage point, it will help you discern between who Yah desires us to be and who the world is trying to get us to be like. We all need to get the devil off of our backs and submit to Yah and live for Yah's truth. If you are living in a faith that you feel you can say, that's not important. Well, we do this because these people did this back in the day, but you have no foundation in the word from it, that you need to make some changes in your faith because many people are being led in a faith produced by wicked tares, spreading rebellion and lawlessness. And if you can identify the root, then you can cut it out and be free from it. And that is hopefully what this information is helping you do. We cannot be led by tares, and we cannot be led in this strong delusion. We must all break free and follow Messiah in the way he has taught us, and not by the traditions of men that desire to make his word of no effect in our lives. We next need to move into our modern day society and understand the traditions and the ways that have come into modern day that we have accepted from these tares. But if you understand this foundational information of what pagans are and how they assimilated into our beliefs, you can know with assurance of what we are setting ourselves apart from and we can worship Yah in spirit and in truth as he desires. It's time to break free from these chains and live in the fullness of life with peace and joy that Messiah provides. Let Messiah set you free and be a called out one that is separate from the false ways and the mindsets of this world.
Come out of her, my people. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Praise Yah. Okay. Thanks again for watching. If this has blessed you, please make sure to like it and share this video with others. I think this video needs to be shared with many people that share our faith. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to this channel. Yah willing, I upload every Friday. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to this channel on Facebook and Instagram, as well as on my website, truthunedited.com. If for any reason you do not see this channel on YouTube any longer, you can always find me on my website. As always, I'd like to thank all who donate and contribute to this ministry. Your support is truly a blessing. Thank you for your love and your support and letting our Father use you. You're truly a blessing and I really appreciate your support. Be blessed. Okay, thanks again everyone for watching. I love you all.